0: politics is just a fact of life. And so what happens is if you suggest that the faith has nothing to offer, then you're making the faith irrelevant when our faith is not irrelevant to questions of justice. It's actually now an evangelism problem, and it's a discipleship problem. If people aren't able to have conviction that Jesus has something to say to our politics, it's going to lead them to question what Jesus has to offer for them in their personal lives.
1: Welcome to the Discipleship Podcast. We're on a mission to discover what it means to authentically follow Christ in the 21st century, so we're speaking with significant Christian leaders from around the world to pursue wholehearted discipleship. I'm Krish Kandaya. Today I'm in Nashville. Arriving into the airport, there is a large sign to tell you that you have entered the home of country music. In fact, Nashville is the only airport where I've arrived, where in the actual terminal building, there are multiple venues for live musical performance. I was expecting to encounter the deep south of the USA, but downtown Nashville has many immigrants. In fact, all of the Uber drivers that I met during my stay were quick to tell me that they were not from Tennessee. And indeed, all of them wanted to tell me they were Democrats and not Republicans. Historically, the Democratic Party does well in the urban areas of Nashville, even though Tennessee is normally a safe Republican state. That discrepancy seems poignant to me as I'm on my way to interview Michael Ware, a white Christian man with a clear passion for Jesus, who worked for President Obama. Michael tears up a lot of the stereotypes associated with Democrats and white evangelicals. Indeed, BuzzFeed called him one of Obama's ambassadors to America's believers. Michael directed faith outreach for President Obama's historic 2012 re-election campaign. Michael was also one of their youngest White House staffers in modern American history. He served in the White House Faith-Based Initiative during President Obama's first term, where he led evangelical outreach and helped manage the White House's engagement on religious and values issues, including adoption and anti-human trafficking efforts. Michael Ware is the founder of Public Square Strategies, and a leading expert and strategist at the intersection of faith, politics and American life. And Michael is sought after by religious organisations, political organisations, businesses and others to help them effectively navigate the rapidly changing American religious political landscape. Michael is the author of Reclaiming Hope, lessons learned in the Obama White House about the future of faith in America. He also writes for The Atlantic, Christianity Today, USA Today, Relevant magazines and other publications on faith, politics and culture. He serves on the National Board of Bethany Christian Services, the U.S.'s largest adoption agency, and holds an honorary position at the University of Birmingham's Cadbury Centre for the Public Understanding of Religion. He's also a senior fellow at the Trinity Forum. Michael and his wife, Melissa, are both proud natives of Buffalo, New York, but they now reside in Washington, D.C. In this interview, we talk about the links between discipleship and politics, how Christians can navigate the party political landscape, and what to do if, like many Christians in the US and the UK, you are feeling politically homeless. So we're here in Music City in Nashville and it's the Q Conference going on. We're hearing amazing talks from fantastic speakers and one of the speakers that's going to be on the main stage this afternoon is Michael Ware. Welcome to the Discipleship podcast, Michael. It's great to be with you. Michael, tell us a little bit about your past. I first came across you when you were the faith liaison for the Obama administration. A lot of people find that kind of difficult to believe that you're passionate about Jesus and that you can work for the Democratic Party Tell us a little bit about the journey that got you there.
0: Well, I mean, it goes back to I grew up in a Catholic family, but sort of nominally so. I didn't consider myself to be a believer when I was 15, I was handed a tract of Romans, and it changed my life. I was interested in politics before then. When I became a believer, I thought, well, now I need to go to seminary, become a pastor, because what else would a good Christian do? Uh, but thankfully, I had a, a good pastor. I had people in my life who helped me to see that, <laughs> A, there are, there are Christians who are not pastors, and, and, and they are Christians. And I, I thought I wanted to figure out what it meant to be faithful in public things. And so that took me into politics, and I ended up meeting and then working for the president which was an incredible journey and in the White House I helped connect the federal government to faith-based groups and volunteers and churches that were serving the vulnerable and it was an incredible honor yeah.
1: A lot of people would have two problems with what you just said. So one is the idea that God might call you into politics. For many people, politics is an irredeemably dirty and broken place full of power-mad people. So you're just going to get polluted. You're not going to be able to be a good witness. And then they would have the problem about the idea that for some people, if you are political and a Christian, you're going to be a Republican. Mm -hmm. Help us with that journey for you. Well, it's interesting. So I
0: felt called, once I became a Christian, I came to see the work of justice, the idea of justice, as a Christian idea instituted by God. And politics, whether we like it or not, maybe we could imagine, maybe there are other times and places in which politics has less of a place in society. But in the place where God had planted me in the United States, politics has great impact on the lives of the American people, the lives of my neighbors, and particularly the lives of the vulnerable. And as a citizen, I have a duty for political involvement. As a citizen, you don't choose to have political influence, you already have it. And so then, the choice was how do I steward this responsibility I have been given as a citizen and then as someone who felt called vocationally to use my talents, my knowledge, my passion to work in the political realm to advance justice and affirm dignity. And so that was kind of the path that led me there. As far as I'm giving a talk later today on political homelessness, and I think we're in a time when many people feel politically homeless. I think it's becoming increasingly apparent that neither party has a full grasp (laughs) You know, to say they don't have a full grasp is, is an understatement of God's justice and God's truth. But it, it's interesting. People will come and ask me, Michael, how did you work in politics as a Christian? Isn't that corrupt? Didn't you feel you had to compromise? Didn't you feel kind of under pressure? And sometimes I'll ask them, you know, what do you do? And they'll say, oh, I work on Wall Street. Oh, I'm a, I am ai run a business. Oh, I'm a teacher. Politics is not There are ways in which it is uniquely complex, but it is not unique in that it can be compromising. We are called to follow Jesus no matter what vocation we find ourselves in. And I think Jesus could have been just as faithful as a political scientist or as a
1: legislative correspondent on the hill as he was as a carpenter. That's fantastic. Thank you. This idea of political homelessness, I think it resonates not just here in the US, but in the UK. The kind of two main political parties both seem to have kind of major problems, major blind spots. I have many friends here in the US that, for example, really couldn't vote Democrat because of their position on abortion, but are really struggling to be Republican because of the way that the president doesn't seem to be showing compassion to refugees or his own personal life. So what's your advice to someone that doesn't seem to fit in either
0: It's okay that you don't fit in the states when you register for a party, when you register to vote. There's no small print that says, I hereby sign my conscience over to the Democratic or Republican (laughs) Party. One of the big problems that we have in American politics right now is that we have the highest number of political independents that we've ever had. 43% of Americans are political independents. These are people who have unilaterally withdrawn, unilaterally discarded one of the primary levers they have for political influence in this country, and that is participating in a political party. One of the things that we need is people participating in political parties who are proud to call themselves a Republican, proud to call themselves a Democrat, but who maintain their convictions and actually are themselves in these party structures. The problem with independence right now, and I'm not talking about people who are members of third parties, I'm talking about people who are political independents, which means I'm, I'm not a part of anything, is that these are the very people we need participating in parties. Right. But our, our political parties are now confined to those who mostly agree with every dot and tittle mm-hmm. of the party platform, and then we wonder why our parties are so extreme. Well, no one's in the conversation who would add any kind of nuance. Right. What we need in this country, what the Democratic Party needs more than ever, is Christians who are proud to call themselves Democrats, who identify as Democrat, who nevertheless oppose the party from within on the issue of abortion. Mm. What the Republicans need more than ever are Christians who are Republican, proud to say they're Republican, who push back on that party's posture on immigration, for instance, or international aid. And that's what I hope to see Christians who are bringing their convictions to politics, not letting politics change their convictions.
1: Right. And I guess that's helpful, isn't it? Because parties are moldable. You know, The history of the Republican Party is the polar opposite of maybe where it began so they're not fixed institutions but if Christians play their part just like in wider society we can influence them for the common good for the kingdom of God so that's a really helpful idea that God might place his people into different parties but with the same vision of seeking his kingdom. I really loved your book, Reclaiming Hope, and you wrote it in a way that helped me and, and many other readers to re-understand particularly the faith of Barack Obama and the state of American politics. Let me ask you, if you're writing that book again today, would you still call it Reclaiming Hope? Do you still have hope as you look at the American political system?
0: Absolutely, but the book is not just a statement about hope. And the idea that hope exists and is real, of course it is. And I make that case strongly in my book. The book is also a call for Christians to bring kingdom hope with them into politics. That that will be a major part of the renewal of American politics. Hope is not passive. And we need, in such cynicism inducing times, what a witness for people who find their hope outside of politics to bring that with them into politics. It would be an incredibly refreshing environment. Invigorating thing for a political system that desperately needs some invigoration. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd, I'd still title it Reclaiming Hope. Towards the end of the book writing process, I really started to feel convicted about what I call the spiritual harm our politics is causing. I'll be talking a lot about that later today at the conference. And so readers of Reclaiming Hope will see that threaded a bit throughout the book, but that was all added in the last, like, month of the manuscript. If I could go back and start over again, it has become a dominant theme in the way that I think about the problems facing our politics right now.
1: I think it's really helpful your questioning about the spiritual damage that our politics is causing. I'm kind of nervous, and I don't vote in America I'm a uk citizen i'm kind of nervous about you know this 81 percent that they talk about white evangelicals have supported the trump government and are often seemingly uncritical about his behavior his policies and there's this whole kind of rising generation gen z gen y Mm. what are they doing when they think of the church they think of republicanism, they think of Trump, and they think, I don't want that, therefore I don't want the church. How can we undo that? What could that look like? Where's hope for that rising generation that are put off the church because of its seeming political affiliation?
0: Practically, it's a major challenge. Robert Putnam and David Campbell wrote this book, American Grace, and Putnam and Campbell are academics, mm. widely respected.
1: Was it Bowling Alone? Was that one of their books? Uh, yep, exactly.
0: And so in American Grace, through their research, they really determined in ways that have been included in the work of Gabe Lines and his book on Christian and the next Christians, that it's actually the political developments, the developments in the interaction between politics and American evangelicalism that drove. American young people away from the faith? Mm. So this is a real question. It's part of why as Christians we can't just look at politics and say, wow, that looks really sort of icky. We need to stay away. Well, politics is just a fact of life. Mm. Um, And so what happens is if you suggest that the faith has nothing to offer to something that presses on the minds of the people then you're making the faith irrelevant Mm -hmm. when our faith is not irrelevant to questions of justice and public justice. So not only are you needlessly making the faith irrelevant to practical matters of justice, it's actually now an evangelism problem, and it's a discipleship problem. If people aren't able to have conviction that Jesus has something to say to our politics, Mm. then that's going to be a break in their logic that's going to lead them to question what Jesus has to offer for them in their
1: personal lives.
0: Yeah.
1: I remember in the Young Christian study, the way that that kind of 16 to 31 age category were responding, they were saying that the church was homophobic, judgmental, hypocritical, but one of the categories also was too political. (laughs) So how do we untangle this? Because I'm hearing you say we need to be more political, but we need a different political engagement. What's the difference? Yeah, the problem is not that we
0: take politics too seriously. The problem is that we take politics seriously in all of the wrong ways. Mm. Christians need to go to politics to advance justice and affirm dignity Mm. and leave the sort of emotional and pop culture expressions of politics Mm. to the side. We need to stop treating politics as a form of entertainment Mm. or as a form of just asserting cultural power Mm. and actually use politics for the limited purposes in which it is meant to be used. And so that's a big piece of it. I will just say, I've done a little bit of writing and talking about this, and I have the opportunity to go to a lot of colleges, and Christian college students are hopeful about Jesus, but have some real misgivings about some of the church's political engagement. What I try to remind them is, yes, there are certainly some spots to critique, for sure, about how evangelicals have engaged in politics, especially over the last couple of years. But Christians can't, young Christians can't use it as a cop-out to avoid Actually looking at Jesus, mm. looking at the author of our faith, mm. and either accepting or rejecting him. Yes. In other words, you know, we all know who some of the bozos are, but they were never the representatives of our faith. Right. Jesus is a perfect example yeah. of our faith. Yeah. Everything that's wrong about our politics... Jesus is right. now. Yeah. And
1: I think that's a really helpful one. What would a Jesus-centered, Jesus-honoring political engagement look like? And even the fact that we call Jesus Lord was an intrinsically political claim. Yes. Because to say Jesus is Lord in the Roman Empire was a challenge to the prevailing culture, which mm-hmm. said, no, Caesar is Lord. That's right. So... That was part of the persecution that the church faced because they claimed there was a higher authority that people were responsible to than just the Roman governors and the Roman legal system. And I wonder, when I see Jesus advocating, he isn't advocating for his own rights. So, you know, Jesus refused to use power in the desert to turn, you know, stones into bread. But when he sees 5,000 hungry people he'll use his power in order to bless others. And I wonder if that other-centered seeking justice, not meaning seeking the rights of Christians to exert power over the culture so that we get our way, but actually speaking up for the voiceless, for the marginalized, that's the way that we model a Jesus-centered political engagement. What, What do you feel about that?
0: I think that's exactly right. In the new afterword to my book, I write about Galatians. Mm. And it's striking, of course, and the thing I wasn't able to put in the afterword because it only came to me after Galatians, Paul's famous writing that under God, in Jesus, there are no Jews or Greeks, male or female. Mm. And then it's a couple chapters later, where he's writing to the church, a polarized church. They were being undermined by false teachers, by parochial motives. It was a polarized environment. I mean, you read the scholarship on this and they may not use the word polarized, but it's an appropriate word to apply. And you would think in like our typical mindset of just trying to mitigate problems that Paul's guidance to the church would be like, okay, I see you guys disagree. How about you find some way to Power share. How about you guys mm. take control on Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, you guys on Tuesdays? Like, let's just find a way to live, mm. you know, and tolerate one another. And instead, he offers what I think is one of the most radical calls in all of Scripture, and that is that they ought to bear another's burdens, mm. which is the exact opposite of what polarization and tribalism promotes. Yeah. And so I argue in the afterword that in the polarized environment of American and UK politics, what Christians can do, drawing on the resources of the faith, because I think Christianity offers unique resources to help us navigate this time. Christians drawing on the resources of the faith in this time of polarization and tribalism can actually... Bear another's burdens in politics. Mm -hmm. And what I mean concretely by that is we have to find a way to bring into the public debate the arguments of those we disagree with under the understanding that we all live together, that Mm -hmm. we have to find a way to live together. Mm -hmm. And it does not help our politics one stitch for us to be talking past one another, for us to be mischaracterizing one another's Mm -hmm. arguments. And so Christians should be able to advocate for a fair hearing, because Christians don't have to be worried about where a sincere pursuit of truth will lead.
1: Production of the Disciple Shift Podcast is made possible by our friends at World Relief. World Relief is a global humanitarian relief and development organization that partners with local churches around the world to end the cycle of suffering by transforming lives and building sustainable communities. With initiatives that focus on disaster response, health and child development, refugee and immigration services, economic development and peace building, World Relief works holistically with local churches to stand for the sick, the widowed, the orphaned, the alienated, the displaced. The devastated, the marginalised, and the disenfranchised. Learn more about World Relief and the part you can play in serving the vulnerable and the marginalised by visiting their website worldrelief.org. So, we're reflecting, aren't we, here that political discipleship is part of our calling and a Jesus centred political engagement is what we're after and I love that in Christ you know think of even Jesus' disciples who's there you've got Simon the Zealot so he's Mm. part of a terrorist group trying to overthrow the Roman Empire and you've got Levi the tax collector so if you think American politics is divided this is the extreme isn't it that someone who would collaborate with the Romans versus someone who would murder the Romans Mm. and yet somehow in Christ these two men become brothers and they are willing to carry each other's burdens they're willing to say actually what defines me ultimately is my relationship to jesus not my political affiliation yes. and i think there are huge opportunities and again even more distinct because of the polarization that we're in for kind of bipartisan work seeking the common good and when you were working in the white house i know one of the areas that you were very passionately involved with was around adoption and vulnerable children mm. did you find that that was an issue that you could find bipartisan collaboration on
0: Yes, I believe the Congressional Adoption Caucus is the largest caucus in Congress. I believe that was the case. When I was working there, it should still be the case. It was definitely a robust bipartisan body. We worked in a bipartisan way to get the adoption tax credit made permanent, which was a major victory for adoptive and prospective adoptive parents. So yes, these issues, I also worked on human trafficking. That was another area where we saw broad bipartisan support. And there's no coincidence that there's a robust faith advocacy effort behind both of those issues Mm. same with issues of foreign aid so we look at you know pepfar we look at malaria and religion that has an ability to provide a value set that transcends partisan divides Mm. it's no longer parochial and when you can appeal to those kinds of values, those kinds of higher ends, then even in this kind of environment, when so many of the incentives are pointing in a different direction, mm-hmm. you'll find good partners. Most people in politics at least got into it for the right reasons, yeah. and many of them are still even if they've been in service for a long time, just doing their best to serve and survive in the environment in which they're placed. And so we as citizens and as Christians can work to call out the best in them. And I think we'll be surprised by how many answer the call if we Mm -hmm. truly do that.
1: Michael, this is so encouraging, even in dark political times, the hope that you bring and the light that Christians can bring by, as you say, speaking for a higher set of values that override these kind of party affiliations. I think There's a huge opportunity for the church to do that. So I hope many of our listeners will hear the call into politics. Um, Your book is brilliant. I recommend it to anyone, whether Democrat or Republican. I think people will be super encouraged by it. Are there other books out there that you would say might help someone that doesn't necessarily feel that knowledgeable about politics, don't know how to relate faith and political life? Are there other books out there that you might recommend Two or three would be great, but any books that you'd put forward? A City of Man by Pete Wayner and Mike Gerson.
0: They both worked in the Bush administration. We disagree on some policy issues, but their setting up of how Christians can think about politics Christianly is really helpful. I always recommend Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy, which maybe isn't a book that people will immediately look at and go, oh, wow, this is all about politics. But it's a wonderful way to understand discipleship, whole-life discipleship, and... The amazing... Opportunity and availability of the kingdom of God that is available to all spheres of life. Um, and that book transformed my life. And then somewhere in the it, middle of City of Man is explicitly political. Mm-hmm. Divine Conspiracy, I think, has a lot of political applications. Tyler Wig Stevenson wrote an excellent book, The World Is Not Ours to Save, mm-hmm. that is really a terrific resource for activists and burgeoning activists to make sure that they're not losing sight of their place in all of this mm-hmm. and their identity. Indian Christ and in all of this. Tyler is an activist. He started an organization called the Two Futures Project. So he's been in the trenches. He worked with John Stott for a long time. And so those would be three books I'd mm-hmm. recommend. Also, a quick shout out to Vince Baycoats' The Political Disciple, which is another amazing book. Vince is a professor at Wheaton.
1: Well, I've got some books to add to my wish list. I know you've recently started a podcast. Tell us about it and how people can find it. So it's the Church Politics Podcast. Uh, I co-host it with Justin Gibbon who's
0: the co-founder of the Ann Campaign and we just every week comes out on Tuesdays we talk about current events from a Christian perspective so you can find that on iTunes it's hosted by 4th District which is co-founded by Show Baraka who's speaking at the conference here and so we're proud to be part of the 4th District family and yeah we'd love to have folks listening
1: in and uh, taking part in the conversation Is there anything that we haven't had a chance to say that you think our listeners really need to hear right now? It is not courageous
0: to speak of hope when everyone's feeling optimistic and whatever. It is in the times when people are drawn to cynicism, when it seems like God is not present, that Christians in knowledge and in faith can speak hope into what seems like a dire situation. So I don't mean to be overly dramatic, but there's a powerful thing that can happen when inexplicable hope is made real and that's what christians have the
1: opportunity to do right now amen well let's pray for inexplicable hope to be present in american politics in the uk politics in global politics michael West, thank you so much for your time it's always a pleasure to meet you god bless you thank you after speaking with michael i'm challenged again to remember that my hope is in jesus the coming king and not ultimately for a political kingdom or a political solution to the world's problems. But equally I'm challenged that Jesus the coming King deserves to be represented in every realm of society and that means politics too. We can neither ignore nor adore the political sphere. We're called instead to be faithful witnesses to the justice and mercy of our God in every area of our lives. Michael challenged me to build bipartisan alliances on behalf of the poor and vulnerable so that the glory of God might be seen in our love for one another and our love for our neighbours. If we're going to be authentic disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, then his rule over our lives must influence our politics. Jesus is not just king over our private lives, he's king over our public life too. Here is another vital discipleship for us. Our love for almighty God must acknowledge his reign over all of life. we're on a mission to help Christians rethink discipleship by being more faithful to scripture and therefore more holistic in our practice. To help us on that mission, please rate this podcast wherever you have accessed it from and spread the word on social media. I'm Krish Kandaya and this is the Discipleship Podcast. Join us again soon.